your Bibles uh, again tonight over to Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16, we have enjoyed the fellowship, getting to know the Diazes. A pastor said, you'll, you'll recognize them. Well, I walked in and I did not miss, recognize Mrs. Diaz at all. But I did recognize her husband because I talked to him several times when they were over at Fargo. Uh, tonight I'm going to do something just a little bit different. And any time a missionary or an evangelist gets up and says that in, in church, the, uh, the pastor always has a little bit of fear and trembling. What do you mean you're going to do something a little bit different? This is a missions conference. I'm going to talk about a subject that virtually never gets covered uh, in, in a missions conference or never really gets talked about. And uh, it's something that missionaries talk about. Pastors will occasionally bring it up as they make a trip to the mission field and everything. But uh, in, uh, we, we, we started off in Romans chapter, let me slide down here. Romans chapter 15, verse 20, where Paul says, I have strived to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named. That's kind of the theme. Uh, pastor trying to get us to lift up our eyes and see the world. And it is white on the harvest. Now, as I mentioned last night, some harvest fields are much more white than other places that you could go to. Oshkosh is not a white harvest field by uh, any imagination. We are, we are sowing and reaping, but we're kind of just gathering just a little bit here and a little bit there. And I don't know what it's like here in uh, this area of Missouri, but we're not seeing multitudes of people saved. We're not seeing multitudes of people come out to church when we have a special activity or whatever, but we're busy. We're busy sowing the word, inviting people and talking to them. And that's our responsibility. The harvest is the Lord's part. Our responsibility is just give them the information, get it, get it in their hands, get it in their ears. Uh, I love the idea of a radio station. Uh, we have a, a radio station that comes out of Milwaukee, WVCY, which has got several substations around the country. One of my all-time favorite programs is Unshackled. It comes on at 11 o'clock at night, and a lot of times I go to bed about that time. I'll push the... Uh, uh, we've got a clock radio right by our bed, and I'll, I'll push the button and plays for 59 minutes. I'm assuming those people get saved. I've never, I hardly ever make it to the end of a half-hour program. All I hear is all the bad stuff that was going on. But as I have listened over the years to all those programs on Unshackled, I have thought time and time again, what a good testimony, a radio program, to not just hear a pastor, a this doesn't sound very good. A professional man of God preached the word of God. They get to hear what real... <laughs> this is not coming all right. They get to hear what real people sound like. You, you, know, you understand what, you know, where, where you and I live. People get uh, an impression of uh, what pastors and missionaries and, and evangelists and things are like. But they forget, we're real people. Too. We had a life before we got into the ministry, and we're enjoying the life that the Lord has given to us, but they don't always relate to us because we're on a platform, we're speaking to people and everything. But they, when they hear the testimony of, uh, about a guy who grow, grew up in a broken home, somebody who ended up in just all kinds of bad situations, and get to the end of the story where they, they get saved, people can relate to that. Uh, it, it, it goes along with the preaching of the word of God. We overcome, uh, overcame him by the word of their testimony. And so when you are talking to people, I had a couple of young men who were talking to me last night about how do you witness or how do you uh, talk to somebody. And it's pretty much the same no matter what country you're in or what group of people you're talking to. 
give them, a, if you have it all, give them a tractor, John Romans, so they've got a portion of the written word that they can take with them. After you've given them part of your testimony or you, you've planted some seed there, they may remember, they may not remember what you talked about, but they'll have part of God's word to be able to read at their own time and to think about and to dwell on and, Lord, to start working in their, working in their hearts. In Mark chapter 16, verse uh, 15, Jesus said unto the disciples, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. So we jump from there to the end of the book of, uh, 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 of Romans chapter 15, verse 20, where Paul says, look, I, he doesn't say I, I'm almost at the end of my life, but basically that's what he's writing about. I'm here in Rome. I don't know how much time I have left, uh, but uh, I have strived. I have done my very best to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ where it's never been named. Then we jumped over the book of Acts, turned back to Acts chapter 13. That's where we jumped in. That's where Paul, uh, after the Lord gave the uh, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, thir uh, 12, 11 or 12 years later, Paul gets that call. He's in the church of Antioch up in Syria, and uh, the Holy Spirit says, uh, pull out, uh, draw out uh, uh, Barnabas and Saul. He's not even Paul at this point. But 11 or 12 years after the command was given to the disciples, now it's been passed on, not to another generation, but to another group of men, shall, shall we say, that said, okay, this wasn't just for the apostles. This wasn't just for the, uh, uh, the, the people up there in Jerusalem. This is everybody's responsibility. When you read the Bible, do you read it as if the man writing it or God is right, talking exactly to you? I make it personal. Now, I realize a lot of times they're talking about specific situations, but I read it as if, God, is, Lord, is this for me? How are you going to deal with my heart? What can I learn from this? And so when I read through the Psalms, even though David wrote many of them and he wrote them to the Lord, I, I read it as, as if God is talking to me. I don't, I don't, write, I don't even write poetry, but much less a, a song. But I read the Bible personally. Lord, what is it you want to teach me? What is it you want me to do? What is it you want me to, uh, to, to grow in? So we, we went from uh, uh, going into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. The Holy Spirit calls out Barnabas and, and Saul and says, okay, I want you guys to get involved. And there was a, a handful of finger full, four fingers full of other people that get men that get called out. And so they started on their journey. And we, and we looked at that journey here in Acts chapter 13. Now there were in the church of, uh, that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers and Barnabas and uh, Simeon that was called Niger and Lucius. So he, he calls them out, sends them, verse 2, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, separate Barnabas and Saul for the work where, whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed, they laid their hands on them and they sent them away. Yes! We finally got somebody out of our church that's going to go serve the Lord. I don't know what the background is. I, I kind of forgot to ask uh, the pastors here, uh, has anybody ever actually surrendered and been sent out of here as a, as a missionary? We have it somewhat common uh, up at Wildwood uh, Baptist Church there in Oshkosh in that we have always been very mission-minded, clear back from when Pastor Howard Nelson started the church, 
and then Pastor Randy King took it, and now Pastor Jason Brennan. So uh, we're heavily involved in missions. We have several different mission programs going on. We actually have had just recently a couple of families that have moved up. We have an aviation ministry up there. And we had two families that moved up there to get involved with that. So we not only have people sometimes that come and move there to get involved, but because missions is presented to the church from the time the children are little as this is just part of normal life. This is, you may not end up being a full-time Christian service, but you can go to the mission field and see what God is doing someplace else. And so we always talk to the young people and the teens and say, as, as mission conference comes and goes, as missionaries come and go, is that someplace you'd like to, you'd like to go visit? As I was talking to the young people back here last night, one of my questions that I usually ask is, if you could go any place in the world, where would you go? For whatever reason, it didn't happen last night, but for whatever reason, there's a bunch of ladies who want to go to Ireland. I don't know what the draw to Ireland is, but I've heard that response more than anything. Last night, I heard Italy. Uh, Brother Ingalls, have you been, ever been to Italy? No, but we're going there on a mission trip next year, and we're taking about 35 people with us to go help sow down two, uh, excuse me, three villages to try and get a, three churches, Bible studies churches started over there. Uh, for anybody who is interested in knowing about Italy, there happens to be a young lady, a mother, sitting there on the back row, uh, Jennifer, right? Jessica. Help me, sorry. I'm terrible on names. Jessica. Jessica lived in Italy for how many years? Seven years. If you want to know about Italy, don't wait till I come back next summer. Go back and talk to Jessica about what's it like in Italy? Uh, do you eat pizza all the time? Or, you know, uh, j- j- is, it, is it hilly? W- what's it like there? Are the people happy? Are they friendly? Are they grouchy? If you want to know about Italy, go, go back and talk to Jessica. But the Bible and the commands are for all of us. Ever since I've been in the ministry, what caught my attention was making a trip to the mission field. Ever since then, I've tried to get as many people as possible, go see it for yourself. Take one of the missionaries that the church supports, get a hold of them and say, we would like to come over for a week, a week and a half, maybe two weeks if we can get off that long. And uh, we would like to come over and visit you and just see what's going on and how can we help. Uh, we'll come over and paint, we'll paint rooms, we'll pass out tracts, we'll, we'll help you with a vacation Bible school, uh, we'll vacuum the floors, we'll babysit your kids. I mean, what is it, if we could come over for a week and a half, do you have something that we could do? If nothing else, they will just be happy to have somebody to fellowship with. I don't know how many countries and how many missionaries I've been in, uh, missionaries that uh, we have visited with that said, I'm busy. This is the husband. I'm busy. I've got all these things that I need to do. But my wife, she's with the kids all the time. She's homeschooling. She's the one that does most of the grocery shopping and everything. And she's the one that has struggled the hardest trying to learn the language my wife just needs some fellowship. Now, you don't like to say that out loud because you say, what's the matter with a missionary's wife? Nothing. She's just kind of on an island all by herself most of the time because it takes a while to develop that relationship with the people that God has sent you to. 
So the Bible, the command, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. Oh, ladies aren't supposed to preach. Oh, we all know that you do. I've listened to you. I've listened to my wife. I've listened to my daughters preach to their husband. We, we all know that you do. There's a difference between teaching and, and being involved and actually getting up behind a pulpit and preaching. We know what we're talking about on, on that. But take the time to get to know the missionaries that the church supports. Take the time to get to know the Diaz's while they're here. Uh, go ask them. Okay, I couldn't think of any questions to ask you when you were up there, but uh, do you have sharks when you baptize? Is there a shark? I mean, think about some of the pictures that you saw. Uh, what is the food like? Well, you're, that's, always the, that's always one of the kids' favorite questions. What do you eat? You know, it's, it's about all kids think about is, is something to eat. Anyway, get your brain thinking and, and spend some time talking to them. So get back. Larry, get back to where we are. Where? Wow, we're at 7 o'clock already. I'm sorry. <clears throat> so they get called and they get sent. And so they start off on their journey and they, they end up over in uh, Antioch of Pisidia. And uh, they have a meeting. They start out preaching to the Jews, but there's also uh, some great, uh, great number of other people there, the Gentiles. They, they preach the message to them, verse uh, 13, verse 42, and when the Jews were gone out of the synagogue, the Gentiles besought that these words might be preached to them on the next Sabbath. And when the congregation was broken up, many of the Jews and religious proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who, uh, who speaking to them, persuaded them uh, to continue in the grace of God. And the next Sabbath day came almost the whole city to gather to hear the word. When the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and spake against those things which were spoken by Paul, contradicting and blaspheming. Then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God should first uh, have been spoken to you, but seeing ye put it far from you, uh, put it from you, and, and judge yourselves unworthy, we turned, uh, we turned to the Gentiles. So we got, well, I don't know whether we got, I got all excited about, yes, thank you, Lord. Because uh, most of my family came from England and from Germany. Uh, they're not just preaching to the, uh, to the Jews. They're preaching to the Gentiles. And that's how I managed to, uh, to be able to get in and, and get saved, get the gospel down to me. And so things went along very well. We left off in verse 49. And the word of the Lord was published throughout all the region. Wow! There is something happening up there in Turkey and surrounding countries. And then Paul's going to, he's going he's gonna to go down, he's going to go into Corinth and Ephesus and all these different places, and he's going to preach. And it's going to be marvelous. Multitudes, multitudes of multitudes are going to get saved, right? Well, that's what we hope, that's what we think, that's what we pray for, but that's not always what takes place. Look down here at chapter 14. So Paul... Since we left you last night, how, was things, uh, how are things going here in Acts chapter 14? And it came to pass in Iconium that they went both together into the synagogue of the Jews. See, they start out with the same practice that they're familiar with. And so spake to a great multitude of Jews and also of the Greeks believed. So the Greeks, they've got both mixed in there. People are understanding and believing. But verse 2, but the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and made their minds evil affected against the brethren. Whenever there's a good thing going on, you've got the left hand going on also. 
there's bad, there's difficulty, there's problems. For everybody that's happy, there's 10 people that aren't. And you find that no matter where you go in the world. I don't know how many times we have invited people out for the meeting, and some people will show up for the meeting, but the people out on the street, they're just angry, they're frustrated. Who are you guys? What are you doing here? Well, we were fine till you came along. We don't, we don't need you guys. Uh, the or Grandma. Over in Russia and, and Eastern Europe, grandma is our biggest obstacle. Over in these countries, other than Croatia and Poland, everybody mainly is Orthodox. Orthodox is very similar to the Catholic Church. Grandma's been going to church through World War II and all the way on through, has lived through communism and everything. And so the Orthodox Church, they've been around for two thousand years and you guys show up and you start passing out this stuff about God and it's not even the right one you, it's, it's not even approved by the church the orthodox church instead of having a cross they have a double cross that, that, that's slanted like that and so they're only supposed to read or collect or get something that has the orthodox cross on it which they never read anyway but that's the approved Bible or Testament or literature that they're supposed to have. And so grandma will call the police and she'll call the priest. And here we out there standing, standing out there, passing out to John Romans with an invitation to come to a preaching service. And here comes the policeman wanting to see our paperwork. And here's the Orthodox priest to stir him up saying, these guys are foreigners. They're not even supposed to be here. Well, technically, you said you were an open country and that the, it's, it's okay for missionaries to come in here. So we have to show the policeman our paperwork, and he'll talk to the priest. And while this is all going on, there's a small crowd has gathered. Thank you. Now I have, instead of just one or two people walking down the street, now I have about 50 people that the policeman says, they're fine. They can pass out their literature. If you want them to come to your church, why don't you pass out literature? Thank you, Mr. Policeman. Anyway, so sometimes what turns out to be an starts to be an aggravation turns out to be a really good thing. And so we have an aggravation here that the unbelieving Jews got all stirred up. Uh, down at verse 5, they get, the, they get the Gentiles stirred up too. Verse 5, and when there was a, an assault made both by, of the Gentiles and the Jews with their rulers to use them despitefully and to stone them... Uh, Barnabas, I think it's time to leave town. And so they head out of town. Verse 6, they were aware of it and fled unto Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia, under the region that lieth round about. And there they preached the gospel. Now it's taken me that long to get to where I actually want to start and look at culture. Most people do not think about or realize how culture affects presenting the gospel and to the people that you go to. But culture is a big step, something that, that uh, we need to learn. So every country has gods and idols that they worship. Every country, pick one. And every region has cultural differences. We have them here in the United States. Is there a difference between Wisconsin and Texas. Oh, yeah. Uh, I love going down south. Uh, we, we do a lot of 
meetings down in Georgia, North Carolina, South Carolina, and, and uh, that part of the country. I love going to church down there. For the most part, they're happy people. They're loud. They, they sing with enthusiasm. Uh, they amen. You come to Wildwood Baptist Church, and we'll smile and that's about all pastor gets. I mean, occasionally, there's about three of us that say amen every once in a while. But if you get a raised eyebrow, you're doing good. But down south, amen, brother, preach it. Well, it's a little bit distracting when you first uh, get there. First time we were in the meeting, we were down in Tennessee. And the pastor says, okay, uh, if you want to, we, we gather together for men's prayer meeting uh, about a half hour before church. So at 530, we'll be upstairs in the prayer room. So I've got Alan and Jeremy with me. They're about 10 and 8, and so we go upstairs. And so we're, we got a, uh, we got a room, and there's probably about 30 men in there, and they're, uh, some of their sons. And so they take a few prayer requests, and the pastor says, okay, let's pray. And everybody hits the floor flat out and starts praying all at one time. We're standing there saying, what are we supposed to do here? I had never, coming from Wisconsin, I had never seen that anywhere in my life, much less have somebody, there was, same church, pastor was preaching uh, the, following, the following week about heaven, and I don't remember what her name was, I think it was Grandma Pearl, she was over here, she was 140 years old or something, I mean, she, she was wanting to go home, and pastor started preaching on heaven, she, and she cuts, Now that's distracting to a lot of people, especially when you come from up north. No, we're just, we're quiet people. We don't even really sing enthusiastically with any of the songs. But there's differences between the north and the south. There's differences between the east coast and the west coast. We all have cultural differences, but we never stop and think about it until you go to a restaurant and you order, uh, do you have sweet tea? Well, we have tea that you can put sugar in. Oh, that's right, and north of the Mason-Dixon line. You don't actually make your tea with sugar in. You ever poured sugar in cold tea and you try to get it to dissolve? It doesn't do that. But there's cultural differences. And so this is what Paul runs into, second big meeting, third big meeting that they're having. Verse 7, and there they preach the gospel. And there sat a certain man at Lystra, impotent in his feet, being a cripple from his mother's womb, who never had walked. And the same heard Paul speak, who steadfastly beholding him, and perceiving that he had faith to, to be healed, said with a loud voice, Stand upright on thy feet. And he leaped and walked. If I'd have never walked in my entire life, we have no idea how old this guy is. But if I had never walked in my entire life, I'd be leaping and walking, and I'd probably be shouting a little bit, even though I'm from Wisconsin. Uh, just excited. And when the people saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in the speech of Lyconia, the gods are come down to us in the likeness of men. And they called Barnabas Jupiter and Paul Mercurius, and because he was the chief speaker, and the priest, the priest of Jupiter was before the city and brought oxen and garlands under the gates and would have done sacrifice with the people, which when 
the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard of it. They rent their clothes and ran among the people, crying and saying, Sirs, why do ye these things? We, are, we also are men of like passions with you, and preach unto you that ye should turn from these vanities unto the living God which made heaven and earth and the sea and all things that are therein. And then he goes on and preaches, just gives a short little testimony. What happens? Here's this crippled guy, hasn't walked, I don't know whether he's 20 years old, 25, 30, 40, or whatever. And Paul looks on him and uh, the Bible says he realized he has faith to believe and says, stand up. And the guy stands up. Why does this take place? For a couple reasons. One, they're in Lystra and they speak the language of Lyconia. Look back here at oh, verse 11 near the end of the verse. Saying in the speech of Lyconia, the gods are come down to us in the likeness of men. The Lyconian language, it's just, it was just a small pocket of people who had a mixture of ancient Assyrian and Greek. It was a language that Paul or Barnabas didn't know. They knew Greek, but they didn't know the mixture of it, and certainly not old ancient Assyrian. So when the people stand up and start, the gods are come down, the gods are come down, they called Paul. Uh, excuse me, they called Barnabas Jupiter. Uh, Jupiter was the supreme god and called Paul uh, Mercurius. Uh, Mercurius was the god of eloquence, the messenger of the gods, and he was the one that interpreted the will of the supreme god. So they're standing there and... They're not sure what's going on because they don't understand. All they know is everybody is excited about something because they didn't understand. So what is missing? Two things are missing that you need when you go to the mission field. You need an interpreter. You need an interpreter to be able to figure out, okay, how do I talk to this person? And it doesn't make any difference if you are going to the post office, if you're going to get some paperwork done at the uh, police department, if you're going to the grocery store. Now, because of technology and Google Translate, you can pull out your phone and you can put in the language of the country that you're in and you can put it at that and it will tell you, this is baloney. Do I want... <laughs> Do I want Bulgarian bologna, or should we keep going until we find something else that sounds a little bit more appetizing? So that has helped, but, and I've watched people try to communicate using Google Translate, where they would speak in English, and it was translated into Croatian, and then the other person got their phone, and they get it in Croatian, and then they would communicate back and forth that way. But if you're going to live there, you need to learn the language. But to be able to do that, you need to find a teacher. And to be able to do that, you need an interpreter. And especially when you got, get ready to start talking to people, somebody's going to have to uh, translate for you because you don't want to just sit there and go to school for the next, depending upon the country you're in, for the next six months to two or three years to learn a language before you start preaching your first message. And you need the scriptures in their language. Otherwise, you are just telling them they don't know what. Who is this guy to come and tell us about this unknown God 
and that he has prepared a way for us, and he was the one that created all of this. He put the sun and moon in the, in the sky, and he created all these people, and he, he created all the fish that we eat here in Li Liberia. Uh, is it, is that, did I get that right? Liberia. Okay. Uh, it's, it's like... It's like an engineer coming up and talking to me about how to build a tower. I, okay, I get a couple of words, but I have no idea what you are talking about. They need the word of God to be able to follow along in their language. As you stumble and sputter through your first message as you're reading through it, or as you're speaking it and then the translator is translating it and everything. So you need an interpreter to be able to, what, what, what's all this excitement about here? Uh, verse 13, then the priest of Jupiter was before the city and brought oxen and garlands under the gates and would have done sacrifice with the people, which when, Paul, when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of, they rent their clothes and ran in among the people crying out. I don't know how much time elapsed here. The man gets healed and he jumps up, all the people start shouting, the gods are among us. The God. So I'm thinking that Paul and Barnabas may have recognized the, the two gods that they called up, but they didn't know what was going on. But the priest of, of Jupiter, the, the, he had, I, I've looked this up, the temple is outside the city. And so they would, as people would come in, they would offer up their sacrifices or they would give their money or do their spiritual business before they would go into the city to do business. And so they're already in the city. Along comes the priest here in verse 13, uh, which was before the city and brought oxen and garlands. So he's got, he's got oxen. I don't know whether they're ready for sacrifice or what. He's got flowers on them. So I'm not sure where these oxen came from or what the purpose of them was. But somewhere along the way, somebody goes and gets him or he's there and, and goes and gets the oxen, and they're going to do sacrifice to the gods have come down to us. So there's some time that appears to me that has elapsed here. And when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of, uh, heard of and Paul heard of, they rent their clothes and ran in among, uh, ran in among the people saying, we're just men like you are cultural things when we go to any one of the countries in Eastern Europe there's cultural differences that we need to kind of climb over one of the things that I mentioned last night is you don't ask people personal questions it's very common for us uh, to be talking to somebody and most of the time it's not a big deal if you ask somebody how old they are but that's a very personal question. So they don't like to be asked about their personal things. It's okay to talk about schooling or life or where do you work or whatever. And even that sometimes can get very confusing. One of my translators that I worked with in uh, the Ukraine, I, I'd, known, I'd known him for six years. Every, every summer he and I would go out and we, we would spend some time together and we'd go out and preach in different places. And I, want, I asked him one day, he says, uh, 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 what, what do you do? I, I know you've got a regular job that you take some time off to be able to, uh, to go out with us to go to the village. And I said, well, what do you do? And he says, I'm a fireman. 
Well, well, that's kind of interesting. Now, I've never seen a fire truck over there, but he's a fireman. Okay, well, that's, that's pretty neat. And so I lived on that for five years. And then uh, one, one year we were over there, and, and he meets me up, and he says, I'm sorry I'm late. He says, it's just been one of those, one of those bad nights uh, at, at work. He said uh, something about, I said, oh, did you have a big fire? And he says, well, it wasn't too big. It was about the size it normally is. It's about the size that it normally is. What are you talking about? He says, I'm a fireman. I says, I know. I said, uh, in America, our firemen put out fires. So you had, a, you had a small fire or what? He says, no, I'm a fireman. I start fires. What? <laughs> well, it turns out he worked at a factory, and his job was to keep the boiler going so the factory could operate. So... Even when you know what somebody's talking about. Sometimes you don't know what they're talking about because you, you can use the same words, but it's completely different because we're in a different culture in Bulgaria. This is always a fun one. This is no, and this is yes. And they did that back in the 1800s when the Turks came in so that when the Turks observed them and got to talking to them, they would confuse them in that, uh, yes, that is exactly right. <laughs> it's very difficult talking to a missionary in Bulgaria that's from the states you've known before. <clears throat> As I'm sitting there, Jeff Shergalos did this to me the last couple times in there. But you, you just get accustomed to it, that you're, you're answering, you know, yes. And you sit in there talking to him, and we'll sit there and we'll nod our head like this. But Jeff's sitting there shaking his head. You're not agreeing with what I'm saying? What's the matter with you? And then, uh, then he'll start going like this, and then he'll go start going up and up. Wait, either nod in Bulgarian or nod in English, but don't go confusing me by which way, you're, which way you are speaking to me or responding to me. Uh, Russia, <laughs> Russian Eastern Europe... Uh, as I mentioned, they've got uh, 2,000 years of Christianity, so we're just newcomers on the block, and uh, we're, we're just all Baptists or just a cult over there. Uh, the, unfortunately, most of the Baptist churches that are started over there, not by missionaries, but National Baptist Church, they don't even believe in eternal security. Y'all even read your Bible? Uh, does everlasting mean everlasting? Does eternal mean eternal? How can, how can you believe, how can you even think or convince somebody that salvation is not forever? The, their big, one of their big days is name day. I was born, John, but I was baptized Peter. So today, I'm Peter, and I'm going to give you all gifts. And even, we don't even have a holiday like that. Uh, uh, Bulgarian is such a confusing language that they have a day that they celebrate their language. I was talking to Brother Diaz. What kind of holidays do they have over there that we don't have over here? Uh, but the best, the all-time best. Pastor, uh, Pastor Smith. Stand up, please. So, I'm from America. Uh, everybody's, everybody's happy to, that we're here. Wow, we have some visitors from the States, and we're in Russia. We're on some village way out and everything. And so y'all are happy that we're here, and uh, the pastor's happy that we're here. So how does pastor let me know how happy he is? He walks up, he gives me a big hug, and then he kisses me right on the lips. 
You talk about a culture, I won't. <laughs> you talk about a cultural setback immediately. Well, I, I, I found out now why Cheryl didn't like me growing a mustache because it, it, I never had a very good one. It always curled up and went into her nose and everything. But that greet one another with a holy kiss, that's going just a little bit too far. But uh, we're not planning on going to Russia anytime soon because that's kind of closed. But anybody interested in going to Ukraine with me, I'd be glad to introduce you to some very friendly, happy-to-see-you people to, if, you, uh, if you come over. Uh, when, we, when we went over and visited our children in Zambia, I, I messed this up every single time. I'm so used to, hi, uh, do, you know where the, do you know where the broom and the, and the uh, dustpan is? We don't do that over in Zambia. Hi. Uh, I have a question, but, but first, so how are you today? Wonderful. And uh, your wife, how is she today? Do you have children? How old are they? <laughs> I know exactly, what, know exactly what you're saying. So are, are, they, are they fine? Are they healthy? Okay, and is, do you have a job? Is it, is it going well? Okay. Uh, well, what I really need is, uh, do you know where the broom and the dustpan is? I, <laughs> I just blurt it out. You, you don't just walk up to somebody and start talking to them. You ask them about how they are, how's their family. And uh, you have to go through all this formal stuff. I, I would be there for three weeks before I would actually catch myself, okay, I need to stop. The, the most confusing one that I had to talk to, his name was Hello. <laughs> I love, there, there's so many good African names. So I, hello, hello, <laughs> and I start laughing at myself saying that, and then realize, okay, I need to slow down. I can't just ask him a question. I need to get to know him. I, I need to greet him. And then we go on visitation, and so we're going to go out and we're going to talk to people. And so we get out there, and uh, we get out by the gate, and we stand outside the gate, and we say, Mabo Gabo tea! And you wait to hear, Gabo too. That means we're home. Just wait a minute. You don't open the gate and go out to the hut to knock on the door. You stand outside the gate. We're used to just going up and knocking on somebody's door. Very impolite, because there's a, there's a reason why there's a fence of some sort around there, even if it's made of reeds. There's a reason that there's a gate. This is our property. We don't have much, but this is our property. Mabo gabo tea, gabo too. And so they will come out, they'll open up the gate, and uh, they'll, they'll stand up, they'll stand up, and they'll shake hands, but they don't shake hands, they shake the whole arm to show, look, Nothing up my sleeve. I'm not armed. I'm here. I'm friendly. Baba gabba tea. Gabba tea. Gabba tea. And uh, so then I will ask him. So uh, uh, are you the are you the husband of the of the home? Are you the husband of the house here? You are. You look awful young to be the husband of the house. Uh, but you go through this whole ritual talking to them, and then uh, uh, they will say, uh, "Moment." And they, they say, come, and they'll, they'll take you over there, uh, in the, in the, put you in a shady spot, 
And uh, you wait, and they'll go in the hut, and they'll bring out these little wooden stools that are only about that high. And if you've got bad knees, it's a killer to try to get up. But they will put you in the shade, and then you sit down, and you wait for them to, to come out, and they will go in the house, and they will get everybody that's in the hut. I don't care if they're two-year-old or if they're 200 years old or they look like they're two. Everybody will come out. They will bring their little stool. They will sit down. You will greet everyone. They will greet you. And then the head of the home will say, and why have you come? And then you say, I came here to tell you about Jesus Christ. It's completely different. I mean, to just walk up the way we do it here is very, very offensive. But there's so many things, depending upon the country that you go to, that can be a hindrance to getting the gospel to somebody that sometimes, unfortunately, our missionaries are not always really prepared in that, oh, I'm just going to go preach the gospel. I just need to find, uh, I need to find a good Bible that's in their language. I need to find somebody that, that will interpret for me, and we're just going to launch off, and we're going to see multitudes saved. They've been waiting for me to show up to give them the truth. It's not always that way. It's not always that way. There's, there's several things that can be a major hindrance to you giving them a clear presentation of the gospel because these other things that are somewhat offensive to them will hinder them from listening. Well, who is this guy? You, you talk about some uncouth heathen from America that doesn't even know the proper way to greet people or to talk to people. It, it can, Like I said, it can be a real, uh, a real hindrance. So it happened also again here in, uh, we were down in Tennessee, and the uh, church had brought in a man from India that they had supported for a long period of time. And so he had a, had a very good message that he preached, told us about what was going on in India and, and up in Pakistan. And uh, when he got done with the message, he says, now, I, we're going to close the service in prayer. He says, in India, what we do is we all stand and we raise our hands up like that to the Lord because we're giving praise to him and we're, we're you know, worshiping just like David talked about in the book of Psalms. And then we, uh, we look up to heaven and, uh, and we pray to God. And he says, I would like you all to join me now. Uh, we're supposed to do what? We're all going to stand up, look up to heaven and raise our hands, and then I'm going to pray. All right? Okay. Everybody stand. You talk about uncomfortable. I mean, are, are we supposed to do this? I mean, I don't, I don't pray like that. Uh, so we all stood up, and uh, he looks up to heaven, and he closes his eyes, and he starts praying. I peeked. I peeked. <laughs> okay. I'm from Wisconsin. We don't wave, we don't, we shout, but we, we don't, we don't wave, we, you know, we don't do any of that stuff. Uh, I bow my head, I pray, I usually fold my hands, and uh, so I looked around. In a church of about 200 people, I'm going to say there was probably about 20 of us that have joined the pastor from India that, that are praying quietly along with him as he's praying. Everybody else is kind of like I am, they're just, uh, okay, uh, how are you... <laughs> 
Are you even in prayer? Are you just looking around or whatever? Anyway, it was so awkward, but it was his culture. That's the way he and his people always prayed. As we left the church, we have gotten to know a family that is from Russia. And so we happened to run into them on the, on the way. Well, we didn't run into them. We bumped into them. No, we didn't bump into them. We met them uh, on the way up. And I said, well, that was kind of different. And she said, that's not the way we do it in Russia. <laughs> and having been there, she says, why, why, would you, why would you be doing that? She says, I'm not sure that that's respectful. I said, well, it is. David did pray that way. and It is in the Bible in a couple of places. And she said, oh, it, it is right for you to bow your head and to fold your hands and just look down. Either We pray either standing or kneeling. Matter of fact, in Russia and Ukraine and Romania and those countries over there, when it's time for meal, you get to your seat, but you don't sit down. You put your hand on the back of your seat, and you wait till somebody prays before you sit down because it's very impolite. How many in here, you, you just normally sit down at the table, and then you pray? How many in here don't pray before you eat? <laughs> A couple of you didn't raise your hand at all there whatsoever. Uh, cultural differences. And this is just a, a handful of minor ones that were there. They didn't know the culture. They didn't understand the language. Uh, these are, and they recognized the names of the gods, but wait, wait, wait. No, you, you got us confused. What does Paul do? He goes on down here in verse 16 and he says, uh, well, let me pick up here in verse 15 and says, saying, sirs, we do ye these things. Why do ye these things? We also are men in like passions with you and preach unto you that ye should turn from the, these vanities unto the living God, which made heaven and earth and the sea and all things that are in, uh, therein, who in times past suffered all nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, he left not himself without witness in that he did good and he gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons and filling our hearts with food and gladness. And with these sayings, scarce restrained they the people that they would not have, uh, had not done sacrifice. The people are still wanting to offer up a sacrifice. So there's some confusion even when Paul is starting, starting to give a testimony. He didn't have a translator to a translate to understand what was going on, what they were saying. He didn't have a translator to help them to clearly understand what he was saying. And he didn't use the scriptures. He used the testimony. He told about in a very general way, about the God of heaven that created everything. The importance of having a translator when you first get into country and, and you start learning a language, and the importance of having the word of God in their language so that when you do start preaching, when you do start teaching, they can read along in their language and follow what's being said. It was a very confusing time in there for them, uh, things did not last too long. Verse 19, and, and there came thither certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium who persuaded the people, and having stoned Paul, drew him out of the city, supposing he had been dead. Well, that meeting didn't turn out like we expected. Sometimes we read through our Bible inconsistently. How, what do you mean? in that we will read, okay, I, I'm reading a chapter in Acts, I'm reading a chapter in, uh, in the Gospels, I'm reading a chapter in Psalms, and I'm reading a chapter in, in Proverbs. 
Sometimes it takes reading large portions of Scripture altogether to get the context of what all is going on. So here we go. Yet last night we got Paul called out back before he was Saul and started out. And by the third meeting, they had dragged him outside the city and stoned him and left him for dead. And I'm thinking the guys who were with him were standing, probably standing around saying, mm-mm-mm, this did not go the way we planned. Brother Diaz, when you got to country that first six months, did things go the way you planned? Pastor, when you started the church, did things go the way you expected them to go that first few months? We get all excited about the missionaries who come. Yes, we want to support these people. We want to do something to help them. And then we don't even really know how to help them because we never really talk to them to find, okay, what are your needs? How do you want us to pray for you? Sometimes they have no idea. It's not, and that's the importance of the newsletters of following up, getting to know them. We have instant communication. We have text. We have phone calls. We have Facebook. We have all this other stuff that I can, I can be in contact with literally anybody around the world instantaneously to say, how is it going? How was your Sunday? Uh, how is the adjustment coming? Uh, uh, is the economy affecting you whatsoever? You know, what, what is going on in your life? You have to take a genuine interest in them so that you know how to pray for them effectively, that they will know how to effectively reach the people that God has called and sent them to cultural differences. Like I said, I very seldom have ever heard anybody really talk about this, but it affects missionaries and pastors when they go into an area. Uh, we've had people come up from down south to start churches in Wisconsin, and they'll leave after a year and a half because, oh, this is a hard area. Well, no kidding. No kidding. Uh, I don't want to run down that rabbit trail. So, a little bit different kind of a message, not, uh, not necessarily one to, uh, to say, wow, I never thought about that. And, boy, I need to make that a, a need of prayer. But would you? Would you find out an effective way to start praying for your missionaries? Oh, Larry, they, they've been on the field for 20 years. Yeah, it doesn't always get any easier. There's always obstacles. There's always things going on. Would you get to know, and I'm not even saying you need to know intimately all of your missionaries. Pick one or two families and get to know them. How old are their kids? When are their birthdays? What's going on in their life? Uh, the, can you imagine having been on the mission field for 15 years and you have to bring your sweet daughter back to the States and drop her off because she's going to go to... Bible college or she's going to go off and start her life and you have to get on that plane and fly back home to my people while my daughter stays here in an area that I'm assuming is under U.S. government. They don't talk about that, but it's a struggle. Will you earnestly start praying for your 